Staring at her brother so hard. Hello, welcome to Prince Track by Track. I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about the greatest romance ever sold. From Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic. Recorded summer 99 at Paisley Park, uh, with various remixes done later in 99, um, because this was the first single released from Rave to the Joy Fantastic uh, on the 5th of October 1999. Uh, there were a couple of other singles, but they were only really promo singles. Uh, although I do remember Prince performing Baby Nose on a number of TV shows. On the track, uh, it is just Prince on the normal track, but then on remixes we have additional guests, which we will get into, um, you know, as we uh, as we talk about the song. Um, and the song is five minutes twenty nine um, in its original length. And joining me to talk about today is Elliot Wallace. Hello, Elliot. Hello, Darren. And I just want to say, everyone, you're going to listen to the greatest podcast ever heard. That's all I could think of right now. But it's going to be pretty great, so I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, in terms of the genre, um, I think we can say that this is Prince selling out. <laughs> selling out as much as he can possibly sell. <laughs> okay. Like selling, selling, out, selling out to the point where he has nothing left to sell. Okay. Um, this is this is Prince nakedly doing a like an attempt to to do the kind of uh, a pop single, yeah. But a pop single that sounds like everything else that's in the charts, um, like it's almost completely stripped of. Aside from Prince's vocals, it's pretty much kind of stripped of anything that makes it Prince. Right, uh, right. You know, I I this, was definitely going to say it's a neo soul. Uh, ballad, but uh, n- no, I think you're you're right. You're accurate insofar as the selling out aspect of it, because I and I don't know if we've talked about this before, but uh, there there seemed to be a kind of a weird thing where Prince no longer seemed to be kind of on the uh, the cutting edge of pop music. He seemed to kind of be following, and I think this is one of the examples of that. Definitely, yeah. I think on some of the tracks we've kind of talked about how he kind of fell into that you know, kind of adult contemporary sound Mm -hmm. um, and how he kind of, you know, the whole kind of, uh, you know, Philly soul thing. He kind of, there were a few songs kind of earlier in the 90s where he kind of started to try and imitate some of the the sounds that were in the charts, um, you know, but doing it as one man rather than, you know, as a, a, you know, as a soul group. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this, I mean, I say selling out simply because obviously, you know, when Arista signed the deal with Prince, um, you know, the idea was, as with the deal with the EMI, <laughs> that they would kind of promote, um, you know, a like a number of singles that Prince would do a big tour that the sing- you know, the album would be pushed to the moon. And that was kind of the feeling with with this. Um, obviously, you know, I've talked about this with the, you know, the title track and, you know, the overall kind of production of this album was generally seen as as kind of attempting to copy um, you know, Supernatural by uh, Santana, the guitarist Santana. That's it. Yeah. So you know, and it feels like this is Prince's attempt not to do smooth so much, but just to try and get a radio hit. Um, right. You know, and and try do do something that kind of sounds like you know the contemporary R and B sound, mm-hmm. but you know it commercial enough so that that kind of people will pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also the fact that it was remixed by. 
you know, um, well, Neptunes for a start. Right. So, so many people remix this. And, uh, you know, when we're, we're talking about remixes, and this kind of reminds me a bit of uh, just the amount of remixes that came out, though, for The Most Beautiful uh, Girl in the World, though. Um, yeah, and, that was contractual though. Right. Prince could only release that one song, and he could only he could only remix it to to, to release it as B sides. So he was kind of contractually obliged to only use that song mm. separate from his Warner Brothers contract. So he was kind of the only way he could keep promoting that song was by remixing it. Um, you know that I, I, you know that was just a way for him to try and prove something to Warner Brothers. Whereas in this case, this is literally someone from Arista saying, "Okay, you know." Um, let's let's get some top remixes in. Yeah, and you know they bring in they bring in Neptune's. Now here's the thing, you know, obviously Pharrell still you know an ageless wonder today, but you know this is <laughs> this is almost twenty years ago, and he's you know remixing a Prince single, which I can imagine you know for Pharrell as a youngster that would be like a dream come true. Right. Um, for some reason he decided to throw Q-Tip on there, um, you know, in his remix. Um, and then, you know, there was an Adam and Eve remix, so-called because it featured the rapper Eve. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, again, I think she was basically on the at the height of her fame. Yeah, um, yeah. At this particular moment. Um, and, you know, but also there was, you know, a, a remix by Jason Nevins, who, of course, had had number one all over the world with his remix of It's Like That. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, that, you know, that one remi- just sounding like... Uh, 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 a late 90s house remix kind of thing like it uh, just does not work for me um well i mean the thing is as well is like the the aim of this was like the different remixes obviously gives you know different radio stations different versions of the song to play so you know you get more airplay which helps you get into the billboard hot 100 right and you know this as a single you know this only this got to number 63 but it was on the charts for 13 weeks um, you know, it got into the the hot 100 single sales. So based on its sales alone, it got to number 19 and it was mm. there for 21 weeks. Uh, it was on the R&B singles for, you know, at number 23 and it was there for 20 weeks. It got onto the hot airplay R&B for th- number 33 and was there for 16 weeks. And, you know, it got onto the hot dance um, maxi singles chart. I mean, it Obviously, so many Billboard charts. Yeah, uh, where it managed to reach number six um, in in December of nineteen ninety nine, and it stayed there for sixteen weeks. Of course, as this single is released, we are approaching the end of the year mm-hmm. that this was released in, and obviously Prince had, you know, a particular kind of tie in to the end of this particular year. So, um, you know, it's it's funny because obviously Warner Brothers re released nineteen ninety nine, I think, at the start of December. 1999 and Prince then released his own version of 1999 that he'd re-recorded uh, also at the start of December 1999 and I feel that kind of like the, that kind of derailed any plans that Prince really had for for this album yeah. because um, immediately he was promoting everything to do with 1999 because you know that was his that was his big kind of thing at this particular point um but yeah, so, I, you know, this single, it did well. I mean, it didn't do anything in Europe, you know. I mean, it got to number 65 over here. I have the single. Um, you know, I bought it. It was only out for one week, so I was lucky to get a hold of it. Um, but yeah, just like the constant remixes was just like, you know, it was an attempt to, it was just a naked attempt to get airplay. Right. And to and to kind of kind of chart. You know, that's not a bad thing. Obviously, you know, if you're a, if you're a musician, you know, and, and particularly if you're someone who has, you know, signed a deal with, you know, a record company, you've signed it for a particular reason. You know, they right. want you to... Sell you know, records. They want you to kind of... Well, yeah. And, 
you know, they they were obviously prepared to throw everything behind it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Clive Davis was was the one who kind of, you know, gets a credit on this album. You know, he was the person who negotiated the deal personally with Prince. Um, you know, he was effectively the head of the label. Um, you know, and so he he was the one kind of, you know, kind of trying to get Prince to replicate the success he'd had with um, Santana. And you know, this this was like the. You know, this was the 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 kind of the nakedest attempt to get commercial success from this album. Right. Um, you know, I'd said that Baby Nose is also fairly commercial, but um, that that actually is a more kind of princey type of of song. So you know, whereas this flatly feels more like a kind of um, you know a kind of attempt to kind of get a commercial hit. Yeah, yeah. You um, could you could put this right onto at that time um, R and B radio. I can't remember if this was played though i'm trying to remember like like when we did shush or shush a while ago i remember that song being played i can't remember this around 1999 and i you know if it was played on the local r&b station and in the area that that kind of escapes me at the time i don't even remember if the video that often i did i watched it recently but i don't remember the video being played the only thing i can remember personally from that time was uh Rave until it rave until the year two thousand. I don't remember watching yeah. it, but I remember that being promoted by MTV. I want to say or VH one. I can't rem- see that. I can't. Pro- probably probably VH one because okay. for some reason Prince had this thing in the late nineties with VH one where from Emancipation through to I don't know through to like Hit and Run everything kept getting promoted by VH one. Oh yeah, reason. yeah. He had some kind of deal with just VH one, but not MTV. And I'm not quite sure what that was about. There's a um, there's a video of uh, Prince meeting Carson Daly, so that might be it on TRL. Yeah. Well, yeah, this this is it. This is like this is the attempt to get Prince onto TRL, yeah. which is it's like so weird to think of, you know, like a what at the time would have been like what a 41 year old Prince <laughs> trying to get onto TRL. That just feels embarrassing. Yeah. Um, although saying that, Carson Daly is probably somewhere in his 70s now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how old Carson Daly is. He um. seems timeless. Um, <laughs> But uh, I know I know that all the original VJs from MTV are all reaching their eighties now. So yeah. But yeah, you know. So let's talk about the actual kind of lyrical content. Yes. Which I I don't feel like it says. This is a thing as well. I don't feel like this song really says that much. Like calling it the greatest romance ever sold. It feels like it's meant to be a clever title. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, instead of the greatest romance ever told, it's ever sold, and you're like, oh, I see what you did there, Prince. <laughs> I mean, I guess if I was 14, I'd think this is the cleverest thing in the world. But as I'm an adult, that just seems extremely hollow. <laughs> um, you know, it like it doesn't really, you know, the, and again, like, the you know, the, the production kind of is all over Prince, but you still kind of manage to get a, a great kind of vocal performance from him. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, this does something that, you know, I'm sure I'll mention this on pretty much every single uh, track that's on uh, on Rave, which is, the title is the first line that's sung, and I hate that. Like it, it, every single song on this album, as soon as you skip to the next track, it just it's Prince singing the title at you, mm. and it's like it just feels so kind of cheap. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I hate that, but I just hate it. Um, and we start off with Prince just singing the song, you know, the title, the greatest romance that's ever been sold, and obviously you know he's harmonizing, um, but again, it's not it's not harmonies that I particularly enjoy. Mm. Like, it sounds a bit kind of, like, robotic. It sounds like Prince has sung the line once and someone has kind of auto-tuned in harmonies underneath it. Right. Like, it doesn't it doesn't feel real, and I'm not quite sure why. But, uh, yeah, you know, and Prince tells us, you know, so what do you know, you and me finally face-to-face? 
checking each other up and down in all the obvious places. <laughs> Was there ever a reason for us to be apart? The air that fills the room says not hardly, which <laughs> is an odd. And then we get kind of the pre-chorus line, which is, so this is where you end and where in you when and I, I begin. begin. You know, I like that line and I oh, like yeah, the way it's definitely. sung. You know, I think that's that's like one of the few things in this song that I really enjoy. Yeah. And then, of course, he sings again. It's one of these songs that doesn't feel like it has a chorus. It's just Prince singing the title twice over. And that's essentially the chorus. That, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it kind of feels obvious for him to talk, you know, like, I mean, he says in all the obvious places, like it's just him and some woman looking each other down and, you know, and this is it they're face to face and this is like, like a, a less threatening do me <laughs> yeah you know when especially that opening line it definitely well, threatening is not the right word but uh well i mean like sexually threatening that's not a good way to put that either um yeah but this is a little bit like a do me light yeah you less know, less sexually aggressive let's say yeah yeah, yeah 20 years on really yeah and, you know, I mean, yeah, he says, now your mind is open for to poetry seldom heard. Your heart has never been broken until you heard these words. Your body was designed to respond to mine in spite of all your desire mold me. And in the middle of it all, we kiss like rain. We fall into the greatest romance that's ever been sold. Now, here's the thing with the mm. title. Obviously, it's the cleverest title the prince has ever come up with. Um, but also... It doesn't, it doesn't really fit with what the rest of the song is saying. Like, in that first verse, he's talking about how finally these two people are together and they're looking at each other yeah. in the obvious places. And, you know, the, the air that fills up the room says that they shouldn't be apart. And, you know, this is where you end and you and I begin. Like, so, you know, obviously, you know, he's talking about them having sex there. Um, but then, like, he talks about how it's the greatest romance that's ever been sold. And I don't, like, that suggests yeah. that this is a fake romance. Like, it's not a real romance. Or a romance that is just um, commercialized, that is just uh, an object. I'm trying to remember my uh, Marxist philosophy of uh, commoditized, commoditized. Yeah. Uh, like, like this. Commodity. I mean, you know, if he'd have been super clever, he'd have said the greatest showmance that's ever been sold. Um, but, like, that's what it feels like. It feels <laughs> well, like it's. It feels like this is something... I mean, you know, this is roughly... I mean, uh, you know, uh, the TV show Big Brother started in 2000. But, like, the rise of, you know, reality TV and the idea of, yeah. you know, couples on television who met on reality TV shows and, you know, some of their, you know, romances being strictly for the camera and that being a showmance, that feels like this is what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to say, like... You know what you're seeing from the outside is a romance, but it's that's just what's being sold to you. But but the yeah. but the verses seem to suggest the prince is actually being romantic with this person. You know, saying your body was designed to respond to mine. Like that sounds like someone talking about their soulmate. It doesn't sound like someone talking about something cynical. Like it. Like yeah, the title it, is meant it, to be it, extremely it, cynical about what's being sold, but it. Like, the rest of the verses don't match that idea. Right. It, it's kind of incongruous, if that's the right word, but the chorus really goes against what the verses are are, are saying. What the, ver- what the story the verse is telling uh, compared to what the chorus says. You know, it seems like one is very bitter about something, but the other one is trying to have a normal romance. But I, th- I think at the maybe at the... I don't know, maybe at the same time, it, it is kind of poignant in that way that if you're on the outside looking in, it definitely seems like this is a working romance, this is a functioning, healthy sexual thing, but it's just kind of being sold to you. 
and it's a uh, I'm going to philosophy against simulacrum of a uh, of love or of how you think of Prince as just you know this is this is if Doomy was about two people in the room this song is about what everyone else saw which is a very uh, weird way of saying that but it's kind of I, I mean that's a way of looking at it yeah and you know he, he tells us uh, I know you can feel me know that you can dance but what do you know about the greatest romance uh, not what you think not what you believe was it the real reason that Adam never left Eve um, again you know Adam and Eve is sometimes set, you know called the greatest romance that's ever been told um, you know and if the truth that sounds like a memory then you you, you let you, then you know it was meant to be uh, leave your inhibitions behind, come on and see, this is where you end and you and I begin. So again, you know, he kind of, I mean, he kind of almost wraps that kind of middle eight a little bit. Um, but again, like nothing in there is saying that this isn't, this isn't a truthfully a romance, you know. And the fact that as well that he says that's ever been sold suggests to me that maybe he's making a commentary on, you know, this album. <laughs> like... You know, it it just seems like it's it's really weird that the, the the title line, you know, and essentially that that one line chorus is trying to tell us something that the rest of the verses aren't talking about. Um, you know, and then Prince kind of, you know, he he kind of uh, goes back to that previous verse and kind of breaks it up a little bit, and you know, and then towards the end he he sings, uh, you know, you help me to remember the secrets of time. Uh, you offer me your love, so divine, and in return, girl, in return, I surrender. Um, oh yes I will um, oh yes I will um, and then he, he says the greatest romance that's ever been sold that is the final line of the song uh, it opens pretty much exactly how it closes with just that one line being sung um, yeah again like I don't know I just I'm not I'm not a fan of the harmonies that are on that line so maybe that's the thing that kind of puts me off um, but again okay. you know the, the subject that's in the verses doesn't really speak of a fake love that's the thing you know, it's trying to tell me that this song is like cynical about love and stuff, but I don't feel that Prince has enough of like he's not enough of like a bad boy to be able to sing a song where he's telling us that he's well, basically that he's Christopher Tracy, that he's only pretending to be in love with this person. Like, you know, right. just like in Under the Cherry Moon, he wanted to play the role of a gigolo, but then that gigolo immediately falls in love with someone in, in the second minute of the film and then spends the next hundred minutes in love with that person. Like he's not, he's not, he's not able to kind of say here, I'm telling this person I'm in love with them, but really I feel nothing like it's just for sure. Right. And that, that's what I feel like the title should be about. It should be about someone who basically has no soul and is like, I don't care for anyone, but I will pretend to care for someone just so that we can sell the idea of a romance just because that's the thing I need to do. Um, you know yeah yeah and I, he was going through his or was he in the early part of his divorce though at this time you know I, again trying to, to balance whether or not how how biographical we should make his music but if, if that might have been something to Im impact the song at the same time it still doesn't it seems to still kind of miss that cynicism of okay on the outside and we're talking to everybody where our marriage was fine our, our kid was alive and all that stuff but in the reality we're falling apart yeah but even then the, the lyrics still kind of don't work right 
yeah, I mean, with we, the I was going to say we are we are kind of a, a little bit of a distance away from the point where Prince was still okay. trying to keep his marriage together. Like the last, the last kind of public evidence of that was that when the the video for the one was released, which was you know almost a year before this. Um, although mm. you know most of this album was recorded shortly after um, you know New Power Soul came out, and he was touring for that. So it's still fairly close to him, you know, trying to kind of get back together with Maite, um, Maite you know, yeah. and, and you know, originally the one was kind of recorded around the time of his second anniversary, you know, to her. So, you know, we're, we're not we're not very far off that. But at the same time, we are, you know, we are roughly, you know, I don't know, we're about three or four months away from him being divorced from Maite. So, um, but at the same time, you're right, you know, it's hard to kind of ever read anything kind of biographical into the songs. But to me, you know, the whole production of Rave feels like it was, well, first of all, he was dredging a lot of things out of the vault and kind of re-recording them. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like his heart was 100% in it. And also, you know, when you have a title like The Greatest Romance Ever Sold, um, you know, and also the fact that the actual title line is that's ever been sold. Like, I, it kind of annoys me that it's not the correct title. <laughs> like, you know, the full title is the greatest romance that's ever been sold. Like, he he misses the 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 bin, which we I don't know. Bin. Um, but yeah, so like, it suggests a kind of cynical song, and and the rest of the lyrics in this song don't really match up to that. Um, you know, and. You know, then obviously you have the kind of the naked ambition of Arista being like, remix it 10 different ways to Sunday and let's get those out to the radio stations and let's try and make this a hit. Um, when yeah. I feel like Arista kind of, if you're releasing an album in 1999 and you have Prince as your artist, you've kind of already got a built in pr- like kind of promotion. <laughs> like, you know, you could have had Prince like do something 1999 related, which of course they did with the, uh, you know, the the kind of the, the pay per view, like you said, that was advertised quite a lot around this time, you know. But it's like, I don't know, it just it just feels like there was kind of like a botched opportunity. Like we got to 1999, and Prince was kind of in such a weird place that you, that you couldn't just enjoy Prince singing 1999. Like it just wasn't a thing right. that was, a, that was a, you know you able to do. Um, but yeah, so I mean. For me, I've, it feels harsh to say two out of five, but wow, it's kind of that it's kind of two and a half out of five, maybe two out of five. Like this is, you know, I bought this as a single before I heard the rest of the album, and I remember listening to it and listening to the remixes and just being so like the opposite of how I felt we'd get off, which you know was the opposite end of this decade. You know that that was kind of when I became a Prince fan was like the start of the nineties, yeah. and so listening to this single and being like, I don't know what this is, like. This doesn't sound like Prince. This sounds like somebody who has taken Prince's voice, at, you know, as was evident mm. with the remixes, and just put it on some lame backing track. And it just doesn't, you know, it just really doesn't like fit anything. It, like it doesn't it doesn't get me excited for the upcoming album. Let's put it like that. And that blue outfit that he wore on the cover of Rave didn't get me excited for that album either. Yeah, um, I don't like that cover of that album. Yeah, so I, I don't care for it. I was just like none of none of this. Like I saw the video, and the video's okay, but it you know there's a lot of Prince kind of staring directly into the cameras, you know, telling me this is where you you know you you end and you and I begin. And I'm like, but I don't. I'm not buying it, Prince. I'm not bu- like. Mm. I know that you're married. Maybe you're going to the end of divorce, so I can't buy a song where you're trying to romance someone. Like it just doesn't. I just didn't buy it at all. Um, and then, right. and then you know obviously the album flopped. Clive Davis got into some dispute with Arista, so he wasn't in charge of promoting this album anymore. And then you know similar to the EMI thing, like the whole thing kind of fell apart. 
and you know Prince kind of disappeared for two years. Um, yeah, you know. yeah. So it just it feels like it was kind of the start of like you know a disaster in a year that should have been Prince's year. Nineteen ninety nine should have been the year where Prince was kind of everywhere, but instead. It just felt like he couldn't, you know, he couldn't buy an album, you know, he couldn't buy a, a hit. He just couldn't, he couldn't buy success. And that's what this feels like. It feels like someone, it feels like, you know, you can feel the pluggers kind of going to the record stations saying, please play this song. And record stations yeah. going, well, you know, if you pay us enough, we, we might. Well, for me, uh, this might be a first, I, I give it a, a four, uh, uh, where I rate a, a song higher than you. Um, you know, I definitely get a lot of that uh, comeback, the, the the idea that this was po- supposed to be his comeback single. I I definitely get that it is a sellout kind of single because this has a lot of uh, ne- neo soul. There's the ho- there's like these horn hits underneath, which are I I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'll have to research, but there's a song um, "Flavor in Your Ear" by Craig Mack, which I think they're the same ones. Um, but at the same time, I don't. It, this song just still kind of works for me as a, just a smooth ballad. Um, and I, I, it reminds it, it. I don't know how I would have taken it had I heard the song when I like at the time, but now this is kind of just like a nostalgic, a nostalgic little kind of treat hearing it now. It's like, I remember when music kind of sounded like this and it was smooth and it was fun and I can buy this music anytime, but I really like this song. Yeah. I guess maybe like my disappointment from like 1999 still lingers, you know, 19 maybe. years later, <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not, you know, it's just like kind of, for me, there was always the expectation of like, Oh, a new Prince album is coming out. Um, and then, you know, we reached this and I'm like this, you know, this feels like a disappointment. And then of course there was a two year gap after this. And it's just like, it, I don't know, to me, it kind of felt like Prince's attempt to get back into the public eye and it just kind of didn't work. Um, and then, you know, he kind of resorted to releasing his own version of 1999 <laughs> just to strike back yeah. at Warner Brothers. And of course, we'd already had The Vault come out a few months before this, which again was Warner Brothers striking back at Prince. So there was still kind of, you know, the end of that kind of fight going on. And so, you know, maybe there's just like a bitter taste in my mouth from all that going on. Um, you know, Prince yeah. did perform this live a few times. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, he performed it at Paisley Park a couple of times. Um, and then he performed it again on tour in 2000. Um, and, you know, then he didn't perform it ever again, <laughs> which I yeah. can kind of understand, you know. Um, yeah. After this, obviously, the next Prince that we see is is the Prince of Rainbow Children. And, you know, I don't I don't feel like, you know, the greatest romance really fits with kind of the new religious prince that's kind of emerged. Yeah. Even if this does mention Adam and Eve, I, I don't feel like it's it's kind of religious in the correct way for the, you know, the new prince. Um, so, yeah, he didn't really kind of perform this song, you know, after after kind of the initial release. Um, you know, in fact, he performed Baby Knows a lot more and that wasn't even officially a single. That was just a promo single. So, um, you know, when Prince won't even perform your lead single. I think that kind of, you know, speaks to the, you know, what's going on in terms of the promotion. Um, but yeah, so I feel like we said about as much as we can about The Greatest Romance. Um, so yeah. let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug? You can follow me on Twitter at E.H. Wallace. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track or on Twitter at Prince Podcast. Or you can email us, not sure where you would, at Prince Track by Track at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest here, Elliot. Thank you very much. And otherwise, goodbye.